0: Thank you for inviting a stranger into your fellowship, and yet uh, we have more in common as the body of Christ than we do to our unsaved family members. And so uh, thank you, Aaron, for your warm fellowship and, and introduction. Um, it, 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 is a, it is a rich passion of mine. I think, um, I think the way I was able to move to the other side of my own abuse story uh, is when I realized um, the wounds of our Lord, because it takes wounds to heal wounds. And so this morning, what I'd like us to do is to focus our attention. Uh, you have it printed in your, in your bulletin, and uh, it might be easier for you to look up this passage in 1 John in your Bible, but I want us to draw our attention to the way the Lord, through John, has shaped a message for the family of Christ. That is, 1 John 3, 11-24, is, is very beautifully a family talk. It's to us. It's not excluding the implications for anybody else. It's not excluding any notion of evangelism. It's not excluding any notion of apologetics. But there are times when Scripture speaks very pointedly to the family. And this is one such occasion. And so, where is our love for the truth that God has given to us? So, welcome to the meal in our Father's Word. Um, how do we know that a friend loves us? How do we know that a friend or family member cares for us how do we know if our spouse loves and cares for us whether it is a friend whether it is a family member whether it is a spouse They show their love by their willingness to obey, to take on sacrifice, and to commit to the needs of the other. This is one of the beautiful elements of this family discussion in John's letter. There are no object people in John's letter. We're all subjects. There is no one that is pointedly Elevated above anybody else, there is no object. We are all subjects in Christ's family. And so this reality of showing our love by our commitment, by our obedience... I don't mean that in terms of the marital relationship. I I use that as an illustration because in this family discussion, John is going to say, do you love the Lord? It's going to start inside and it's going to flow outside in how we treat each other and our commitment to our Lord. That is a set of footprints this survivor could follow. There is also, as we move into this passage, just by way of orientation, I want you to see that the the collective makes room for the individual. The individual is gathered into the family collective. One of the beautiful things, as we grow and mature in faith, is that we need to learn how to hold multiple things in tension. Multiple things can be true at once. We are individuals accountable to God. Each of us must take the sacrament ourselves. I can't take it for you. You can't take it for me. But we are also a family confessing the same truth. It is individuals in a family collective. Some of you might be inclined to focus on the individual. Others of us are richly comforted by a new family. Both of these are true. Watch that as we move through our passage. And finally, notice the statements of us, of we, of our. This is who, this is who hears it. Uh, the, 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 the historic church has heard this. In 2021, we also hear this. Oh, good grief. Look at how the passage even begins in verse 11, for this is the message you heard. So I want us, as we walk through the beautiful meat of this passage, I want us to observe Ten significant points. I say ten because I'm eager to get back to the classroom and I couldn't stop at three. (laughs) No, really, uh, they're not long, they're pithy, and if you enjoy taking notes, have fun. Notice as we dive in, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. John begins with this moral obligation. And so I'm going to say, surprise number one. The primary struggle we have is cosmic, not political. The primary struggle we have is cosmic, not political. Where are you getting that schmutz? Well, I I, I was uh, intuiting that part of it. Um... Notice where the text continues to go into verse 12. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one. He not only reaches back into the first murder against the only brother he had, he says that is an archetype of the the way the poison of the heart can leach out and destroy as opposed to flowing out and developing. Surprise number one, our primary struggle is cosmic, not political. The evil one. Let's finish reading this phrase. What did he do? He murdered his brother, and why did he murder him? Rhetorical question, answer implied, because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. He starts with a story they know, brings out an implication that challenges us all. Surprise number two, I'm going to give it to you right up front, citizens of the world will hate your message. Let me remind you guys, I didn't write this. By the way, Father Aaron gave me this text. So I didn't even choose that. Surprise number two, citizens of this world will hate your message. Where do we get that? Look at where his writing goes. This is one of the beautiful things about John in this letter. He makes a statement and develops it. Statement and develops it. Statement and then develops it. Notice how he does this again in verse 13. Do not be surprised. Now here's his first command. There was a moral challenge back in we should love, but here's the first command, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters. If the world hates you, the point of his logic is it's inevitable. He's building on the toxicity of the archetype of Cain. He's implying a homiletical point, too. What Abel did pleased God in his righteousness, and he's saying, dear children, in your righteous living, you will draw the wrath of those who who, who neither love your God or are committed to your message. Citizens of the world will hate your message. Surprise number 3 Outward outward flowing love is our vital sign Outward flowing love is our vital sign There's always a temptation and you hear it floating around from time to time preach the gospel if necessary use words Again, that's a a really low-hanging statement of the baby Christian, to be quite honest. I could walk you throughout the canon and community of scripture in which the Lord is begging his people to come to him with authentic words. How do we even begin our passage this morning? The message you heard. The message you heard but it's never meant to be separated from the acts you do. And so in this surprise here, the outward flowing of love is our vital sign. Well, I draw this from verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. He's waving goodbye to his Old Testament archetype in Cain and Abel, but he's saying the raw existential reality of who we are now flows out of a constant produce of love, starts in here, flows out here. It doesn't start out here and every now and then settle in here. If there's no reality out here, there's no reality in here. If there is reality in here, it's going to show up out here. Surprise number four. Empathy always operates with orthodoxy. Empathy always operates with orthodoxy. Now there might be a cynic who says, well, "Wait a minute! I know a real serious pagan, and he does great things." Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. All right. That's called common grace, by the way. And uh, that isn't really the issue. And furthermore, the exception proves the rule. What he's saying here is as children of the new birth, look, if you will, at verses 15 and 16, there's a logic to what happens. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is how we know. That love, uh, what love is, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Do you see the family reality here? Do you see the family reality check? For us, to what end? And we ought to lay down, there's our second moral imperative, by the way. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It starts in here It flows out, number one, but number two, what is the genuine, we used to say, unction, the passion of the internal manifests in the external. Great deeds are done for really wicked motives. But in John's letter, he's saying what you do out here starts in here, the empathy and hunger you have to give and even to sacrifice lay down a life, following our Lord, starts in here, but it flows out here. There's another surprise. If you're jotting down ideas or notes, number five, prioritize the needs of the family of God. Where in the world does Schmutz get that? Prioritize, well, first of all, by the way, uh, This is not only in the book of James. This is also in Paul's first letter in Galatians, right? First and foremost to the household of God, Paul says in Galatians. Well, this comes up again in John's letter. Look at verses 17 and 18. Great, we've got this empathy, we've got orthodoxy. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, It's not excluding the reality in which we live out here. That isn't the point. But the primary spiritual DNA is our primary spiritual concern, our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not meant to be exclusive, it's meant to be an order of dispensing and care. Let's keep reading. This brother or sister who is in need but has no pity on them. We already talked about empathy. How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, notice this term. This is a passionate statement from their apostolic father. My children, he's saying. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions And in truth, oh, indeed, the word implanted must become the life enacted. But there is no enacting if there isn't first the implanting. That's why they wrote letters that had to be digested with each congregation. Again, James says much about that. Well, I think we have a few more as we round the corner here. Number six, surprise number six. Our deepest rest, our deepest rest is tied to the truth. Our deepest rest is tied to the truth. Um, Look at verses, in this case, verse 19. This is how we know. Well, he began verse 16 saying that. He's going to develop it now in verse 19. How do we know? He says, I am glad you asked. That we belong. Oh, that's beautiful. Do you remember what we saw in verse 12? Do not be like Cain who belonged. Instead, verse 19, we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. That's beautiful. Um, this is a very meaningful point because we can have a rest that begins in this life, in the down payment of the Spirit, what Paul calls the arabone, the layaway, it's the, uh, it's the pledge, Ephesians 1. And the pledge is going to come full circle. Do we still do layaway plans? I remember a lot of farming kids in the community I grew up in. We had layaway plans for all kinds of stuff. We are Christ's layaway plan. Yes, positionally, we are there, but it's also elements of the not yet. It has yet to come into full flower. Our Lord is waiting for his wedding. Some of us have already had ours. So here is the rest that begins. The culmination will be later. The taste is now. The meal comes later. Number seven, we must be well-informed subjective people. I hear you, some of you are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 99 out of 100 teachers I've ever had said things are incredibly subjective. (laughs) Yes, we're back to multiple things can be true at once. Yes, we can be well-informed, subjective human beings. We all have stories. Those are important. Christ redeems those, but our story finds dignity in his narrative. Notice the words of John. Notice the words of John here. He says, we know, we really can know, folks. Yes, there's a lot of subjectivities in this life, but as children of God, we can be well informed and maturing subjective human beings. Both elements play into the beauty and vicissitudes of this Christian journey. You Ready? Let's keep going. Number eight, to belong, we must believe. To belong, we must believe. Well, take a look at at the way this text develops itself here. Let's go back and look at verse 20 through 23. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. Uh, This passage is difficult, but what he seems to be saying is, God is more gracious and all-knowing than even our consciences. If our consciences condemn us, which is part of the maturing life of a brother or sister in Christ, Christ all the more is able to work with us, welcome us, and cleanse us. To what end? So your prayers can be heard. So your prayers can be heard. Peter really scares a lot of us husbands to death. Live with your wives according to knowledge so that your prayers may be heard. This isn't just John. What he's saying is as you walk in this journey toward glory, Christ is able to meet you. If your own heart corrects you, deal with it. That's part of growing up. But Christ's omniscience and his knowledge and love is all the more. To what end? So you can walk with him in prayer and communion. Notice where he goes. He says, dear friends, here's another term. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. This is a belief that behaves. It's not just belief. It's not just behave. It's a belief that behaves. Yes, both are true. Well, finally, number nine of 10 here. It's not perfection, folks. It's pilgrimage. It's not perfection. It's pilgrimage. Please, some of us need to stop using that as an excuse. I've run across some pretty imperfect people in my life, too. Am I going to stand before God and say, you know what? There was this really imperfect person they were imperfect. And so I just couldn't trust you or anybody else. That is an explanation that's not a justification. It's not about perfection, brothers and sisters. It's about pilgrimage toward glory. None of us are perfect, but in Christ, we bear his fingerprints on our soul. That is spiritual essentialism. When society is infatuated with identities of all other kinds. This is the identity of the family collective. Where do I get this? Verse 24. This is is beautiful. He says here, and someone who and the one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. Notice, he keeps. And this is how we know that he lives. So he keeps and, we live, and, and and there is living. Both of these are participial terms of ongoing life. He keeps and we are living as we walk toward glory. John Bunyan had it right. We know it is by the Spirit. Throughout this entire beautiful paragraph that was assigned to me, God was mentioned, his son Jesus Christ, and the spirit, which applies this truth to our lives and enables us to live this out in a very difficult world that hates your message and abhors the one who gave it to you. That is a cosmic reality. I said 10 because I have a final observation for us. Notice that scripture uses serious binaries for the family of God. Scripture uses serious binaries. What are you saying, schmutz? Yeah, there's death and life. There's hate and love. There's evil and righteousness. I see my culture might not like anything binary. I'm well aware. Scripture has framed this food for my heart using binary points all throughout the text. We didn't write this, but we are accountable to it as a family. Closing illustration, a missionary recently gave a story of working in the DR. And she talked about, in this picture that she put on an overhead, she talked about how her daughter standing next to her best friend and and, and how her daughter and her friend have gotten really close over the last decade. Her daughter looked like a typical young teenage girl that you might expect to see. And then her friend is about six inches shorter than she was. So maybe 5'5", maybe five, five and maybe barely five feet tall. And then the missionary made a fascinating and sad observation She said, my daughter is growing quite well. (laughs) She's growing as she needs to. She's growing as she's expected to. Her pediatrician would be proud. She said, my daughter is 14 years old. This girl next to her that she's befriended is 18. Do you know why this other girl appears physically shorter? She never had the calories to grow as she needed Never had the calories. That's for the missionaries words, not mine. Folks, I got news for you. Here's the calories we need to grow. Doesn't mean the growth is always easy at all. There are seasons. There are seasons in this life, are there not? But here are the calories in the food of our Lord given to us, begun with John and his audience, and still needed for our hearts to grow. This is a family talk. These are lessons, challenges for us all. In the name of the Father, and the Son.